If I could take to a desert island only a couple of books, one would surely be The Meditations of the Heart by Howard Thurman, from which our meditation was drawn, and the other, another would be The Prophet by the Lebanese poet Khalil Gibran. Asked to speak about giving, here is part of the Prophet's response. You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. For what are your possessions but things you keep and guard for fear you may need them tomorrow? And tomorrow, what shall tomorrow bring to the overprudent dog burying bones in the trackless sand as he follows the pilgrims to the holy city? And what is fear? but need itself. Is not dread of thirst when your well is full the thirst that is unquenchable? There are those who give little of the much which they have, and there are those who have little and give it all, and there are those who give and know not pain in giving, nor do they seek joy, nor give with mindfulness of virtue. They give as in yonder valley the myrtle breathes its fragrance into space. Through the hands of such as these, God speaks. And from behind their eyes, God smiles upon the earth. I don't suppose there's anybody else here like me who sometimes follows the comic strips. No one need raise their hand. We've been fans for a long time of Lou Anne. Lou Anne used to be in the Washington Post and Baltimore Sun, where I first discovered it. We saved a favorite comic strip about her family's dogs. One, one dog named Royce, remember Royce, is being trained as a canine companion for independence. As Royce sits obediently, wearing his official jacket, the other dog lies on the bed and thinks, Look at Royce, a mere pup! And already he's being groomed to be a canine companion for independence. He's smart, unselfish, well-mannered. And his life has a noble purpose. My life is totally empty, self-centered, and pointless. Funny. That used to seem such a good thing. Could this be us? Of course, a skeptic might say noble purpose. Not much of what we give to this church goes to those in need. It goes to run the church, doesn't it? It's for ourselves. It's self-centered and pointless, isn't it? But the skeptic would be wrong. Would miss the point. For in giving to this congregation, to ourselves, if you will... We're investing in change, starting with ourselves. We're moving from self-centered lives to living for others. Like Royce, we're finding a new sense of purpose. We leave here on Sundays with fresh courage, energy, and sensitivity. We leave here changed, and that affects everything we do during the week. The way we greet the stranger or co-worker, the way we listen to others, for starters the priorities we set for our time and our money. 
the causes we support, and even the way we vote. As we become more caring people, we change the world. So in giving to ourselves, we are giving to the world. This is where change begins, with ourselves. This doesn't happen just by being talked at from the pulpit, I I regret to say. It happens as we hear the stories of the diverse kinds of people that we meet here. It happens as we work, study, pray, and sing side by side. In all this, we are stretched. We become more than we were before. For years, 25 and some years, I sat in a law office, oiling the wheels of commerce, so to speak. I was focused on the haves of this world and on myself. The people I worked with were just like me, in class, education, income. They lived the same in the same kinds of neighborhoods. What I did was useful, no doubt, and it was certainly rewarding. But far from being stretched, I was reinforced in my ways of seeing the world. But my nights and weekends I spent at church. There I met lots of people not at all like me. Old people, young people, children, people of color, gays and lesbians, people with mental illness, people with physical challenges, people with less education, lower incomes, and often more courage in standing up for their convictions. I didn't march. I didn't go to Selma. But I was challenged to square their stories with my own more privileged story. I was drawn out of myself. I was stretched. It's that way here. It happens almost without our realizing it as we come to know each other. In all our differences, we embrace diversity because it's the right thing to do. But as we succeed, it's also immensely beneficial to us, whoever we are. As we come to know people like, not like us, we are stretched. As we worship, sing, and celebrate together, share our sorrows and our joys, our passions, find solace together. We find support and friendship, and it happens. We stretch and change each other. Every now and then, not here of course, I meet a person who scoffs at religion, insists it's for the old and the weak, And I think to myself, I'm glad you feel so self-sufficient. How much your strength could mean to others. How much you could give of yourself as a member of the church. I have thought, what a difference you could make in the world with that strength and ability to cope. If through a church you began to live for others. And I have wanted to ask, have you thought of the certainty that you won't always feel so confident, so capable, so much in control? Have you thought of how nice it would be to build up a store of friendships as a member of a church before that time comes? Have you thought of what you could learn from others in the meantime about coping with illness and age? Church isn't just about receiving. In in our time of need, it's about giving as well. It's about living for others. Royce wasn't wrong. Royce hasn't joined a church yet, but he'd feel welcome here, wouldn't he? 
As we come together, we're reminded that we differ in many ways and come to appreciate that our differences enrich our lives, not threaten our stability. We differ not just in skills and in the outward signs of difference, but in the inward gifts with which we are born. Some of us have the temperament to be teachers and to be leaders. Others the gift of organization or understanding or creativity. Some are musical or artistic in other ways. Some work well with children, others with the old or with the sick. Some are born to caring or advocacy. There are so many gifts. Some, of course, have multiple gifts, and one gift we can all give is the gift of recognizing and drawing out the gifts of others and making sure that everything we do is embedded in a foundation of love and affirmation. We embrace diversity, that's one, of, one element of our mission, not because it's politically correct, as some would scoff, we do it because we want to live out our faith in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. We want to affirm that inherent worth and dignity in every human interaction, in every conversation with friends and strangers alike. This can be especially appreciated by people who have been led to think they don't have any worthwhile gifts. But it can be a saving gift, even for those who have grown up with lots of affirmation. Yesterday, in one of the meditations in my book of daily devotions from the upper room, the author of this week's meditation writes of having grown up with parents who assured him of their love every day. But then he went off to one of our nation's military academies and found that was not so at all. He experienced the opposite. I felt miserable, he says. I lived with a constant knot in my stomach. That is, except for the one hour each week when I would attend worship in the chapel on campus. Oh, the euphoria of being in that space for that one hour. Simply being in that space made him feel accepted. How much more he might have felt accepted and loved in a place like this where he would have felt it not just in the aura and beauty of our chapel, but in the warmth of our human affirmation. As we affirm each other's God-given gifts, surely the greatest affirmation we can make is the affirmation of God's love and acceptance through us. As we extend the warm embrace of this community to all who come through these doors, do we not find ourselves living from that familiar song we sang, sang a moment ago? From you I receive, to you I give, together we share, and by this we live. I think that might well be the official song of our stewardship drive, which will soon begin. It's shaped around that concept of mutual giving. Members of the board and the stewardship committee will visit each one of us to talk about what this means. In fact, you'll be invited to choose whom you'd most like to meet with. You have your choice of the whole board or the stewardship committee. Sharing our gifts of time and our talent has always been implicit in the life of the church. But this year, we'll begin with face-to-face -face interviews to survey the kinds of ongoing relationship we want to have 
with each other in this church. Our areas of interest, our time and our talents, in addition to financial support. After this initial survey, future surveys will be scheduled each year in whatever season best suits your convenience, your schedule. In my experience as a layman, in times past, interviews like these are among the most satisfying, enriching opportunities offered in church life because you have a chance together to talk about, after all, what is your favorite institution, the church, and to meet some new people or get to know people you already know much better. It is just a joy. But you can't have it this year because all the interviews will be done by the board and by the stewardship committee. But you might enjoy being on the receiving end. Good to know our leaders a little better, too. Of course, the survey can't discuss these specifics without first talking a little about what's going on in your life. For we know that for all of us, there are times when we can give and there are times when illness or loss makes us unable to give. There are times to receive. And at those times, we can support each other. Now, some traditions, some religious traditions, have fixed dues. We don't. We value you regardless of your contribution to the church. Just your being among us is a contribution. And we recognize, as I said, that there are times to give and times to receive. Loudoun is a high-income area, as we all know. In fact, it's said to be the wealthiest county in the country. I don't think I've met anyone here who would admit to be part of that, however. And in truth, we all know that none of us is average. None of us is average. And no season in our lives is average. We invite you to give what you feel called to give and are able to give. We know that in times when life is hardest and you have least to give, that's when you may most need the church. You may have to cut your pledge or step down from leadership, but that does not mean you have to drop out of the church. On the contrary, we invite you just to come and sit here on Sunday morning and soak up the mutual support that this warm community offers. Let this be your season just to be and to be cared for. One of my favorite stories is a true one. It's told by a man who would go on to become governor of one of our states. I'm telling it from memory, but as I recall, he wrote that as a boy, his family came on hard times. His parents separated, perhaps lost a job or two. He had to drop out of school so that he could work. But he found solace on Sunday mornings by attending a nearby church. It was a big church, and he wanted to stay out of sight. So he would sit in the back so that he could slip out just as the service ended and avoid being seen. One Sunday, though, he didn't slip out quickly enough. And the minister was standing there and reached out and put his arm on his shoulder and said, Son, I don't want you to feel that you're a nobody. You're a somebody. You are a child of God. Now go out and claim your inheritance. And he did. It changed his life.
That kind of affirmation in whatever words come naturally to us is the most basic gift that we can give. It's what sets us apart from secular groups that we also support. All worthy causes, but we relate to them at arm's length. They're not communities like this one in which we're, when we give, we're giving to each other with the goal of transforming our lives and building the beloved community. Now, as we have prepared this sermon, Phyllis and I have reflected once again on what we are in a position to give. We remember once again that in giving to the church, we are giving to each other. What we are really doing is giving our hearts to each other, to all of you, and sharing our lives. We are stretching our vision of what love asks of us and working together to make it a reality. In all this, our lives are changed, and they have been changed, and are constantly being changed. Since we have been in ministry, it has been our goal to give 10% of our total income to causes we love. I think perhaps for Phyllis at least, and probably for me, the example of our parents was influential. We begin with 5% of our salary to the church we are serving. The rest of our giving goes to other causes dear to our hearts, including the church we served in Baltimore for 14 years, where we are now emeritus. We take this 10% off the top, so we won't be tempted to spend it on other things. We know that temptation. We think of it as part of our spiritual practice. Why do we do it? I give because I have so much. I give because I want to be a more generous person. I give because I want this church to be here for all of us and for all the people who have not yet found their way to our doors. I give because I am in love with our children and because I want someone to care for our old people after they can no longer make it to church. And we have some of those. I give because I believe this church makes a difference in people's lives. Phyllis and I are privileged to enjoy a good but modest middle-class income. We no longer have much savings from our days as lawyers. We use them to put ourselves through seminary and our children through college. Early on, the stock market crashed while we were still in seminary. In fact, the first week I got there, it went down by a third Now, the great real estate bust has savaged our equity in our former home outside Baltimore. Some of you know that experience. But in my heart, I know that we have enough. When I spend money on the church, I know that I am buying my dreams. I'm buying my dreams. I know that I am spending on what matters. You. Me. Life, justice, mercy, beauty. We have so much. We have so much to give of all that we have and all that we are. May we give our hearts and our lives to the work of building the beloved community among all who come through these doors and carrying our love and our caring out into the community and the world. 
Royce was onto something, wasn't he? He didn't join a church, but his life was devoted to serving. It is indeed a noble and transforming purpose.